Hello, and welcome to Scry. I am the Seer, and I will be your medium into this seance of sound, this oral odyssey into the unknown and realm of the shadows. I hope that you all have enjoyed your Thanksgiving holiday and didn't eat yourself into an early grave. But if that is the case, then perhaps we may feature your turkey-stuffed soul in a future episode. But as for this episode, we will gaze into the obsidian mirror and conjure forth four tales of spooky specters, eerie entities, devilish dolls, and woodland wonders. For our first encounter, Endless Summer recounts an experience that he had as a child in the early 70s, one in which he shared with his grandparents when an unexpected stranger came knocking in the middle of the night. Okay, I'll begin with a little background. As a kid, I lived with my grandparents for a while. My grandfather was not a friendly guy. He was a World War II vet who then enlisted in the Air Force after returning from the Pacific. He didn't come home to his family for several years. Family lore was that the war had messed him up in the head or that he was injured badly and he needed time to heal before coming home. He was always saying that the end of the world as we know it was right around the corner with all the recent wars in the Middle East, gasoline rationing, Watergate, racial unrest, the Kennedys, etc., etc. He didn't trust anyone and was sure the banks were going to fail or the Russians were going to invade or race riots were coming again. It changed weekly. He always warned me that they would be trying to come and get our stuff someday soon, so we had to be ready. We had shelves of food, water, generators, fuel, gold bars, buried firearms, and ammo. You know, the usual. I was 9 or 10 at the time, and this would have been about 1972 or 73. We were living in a small cabin on a ridge looking over the Maumee River in northeast Ohio for the summer. This was his weekend-slash-summer-bug-in location primarily. There were very few neighbors for miles, and the ones that were nearby were mostly weekenders. The nearest small town was about 10 miles away, and the hospitals were even further away as I recall. There was a two-lane, 55-mile-per-hour highway that's on the opposite side of the cabin that has nice views of the river that was pretty much a straight road with slow curves every 10 miles or so. About a half mile down the road, though, there was a crazy sharp curve that terminated at a small bridge over a creek. There were several accidents there every year, some with fatal injuries. We would often hear the crashes, and sometimes I would wander down there the next morning to look at the scene and wonder if the drivers were okay. One warm summer night, 
we were awakened by a pounding on the front door. My room was right next to the door, and my grandfather was down the hallway a bit. I remember getting out of bed and having him hand me a shotgun while he held a 1911 as he looked through the window to see who it was. I had never recalled anyone ever stopping by before, especially in the middle of the night. The cabin was elevated with a storm shelter slash shit hitting the fan shelter underneath. So there were four steps leading up to the door. We had one of those old yellow sodium security lights in the yard, and things always looked kind of hazy and weird at night. I looked out the window next to him and saw a man and a woman on the lower step to the door. They must have knocked and then stepped back down. He opened the door a bit, all while keeping his pistol pointed at them, and the woman exploded in a crying, blabbering, screaming wail all at once. She said there was a terrible accident that just happened down at the curve, and could we please call an ambulance? There were other people hurt, and they needed help, and could we come to help them too? Now, my grandfather hated hippies more than anyone else, and these two might just have qualified. She had on ripped jeans, one of those suede leather fringe jackets, and the guy looked like he had a biker vest on. She did have what looked like blood in her hair and was not making much sense at all. What was really weird was the guy wasn't saying anything. He was just standing off the porch listening to her go off. I assumed he was intimidated by the 45 pointing at him and didn't want to antagonize the old man with the crew cut holding it. My grandfather was sure they were stoned and kept telling the girl to calm down but she wouldn't and they got into a screaming match between them ending with him telling her to get the hell off his property or he would shoot them both we were both outside watching them head back to the road and i noticed the guy wasn't even wearing any shoes as i didn't hear a crash and they were so weird, I didn't know what to think. We went back inside, and my grandfather sat me down and explained his theory to me. They were making the story up. They were most likely drug addicts who were looking for some poor suckers to rob, or maybe even rape and kill. I recall the Manson story held my grandfather's interest for some time. I asked him, what about the blood in her hair? And he stated it was fake, trying to gain our trust and entrance into our cabin. I thought we should call the state police just to be safe, but my grandfather wasn't fond of inviting cops into his world either, so he just went back to bed. As soon as I woke up, I was curious still, but didn't walk down the bridge on the curve. Later in the morning, several police cars and pickups began arriving and parking off to the side of the road down there, and I could no longer resist going down to check it out. My grandmother went with me, as my grandfather was still at work. 
an ambulance was departing as we arrived at the location. We soon saw the evidence of an accident the previous evening. There was a smashed guardrail, bits of metal, glass, and a tree off the road with a deep gouge and a bunch of bark missing. A mangled motorcycle was down in the ditch, and several people were searching around in the heavily wooded creek area. We overheard that at least one man was dead, and his girlfriend was found a half a mile down the road in really bad shape and was in critical condition after being found by a passing motorist. It was a single motorcycle that had lost control as far as I understood it. One woman was sobbing to one of the troopers, asking them if they had found the boots yet. Her son was the motorcyclist who wrecked, and I guess the impact threw him out of the new boots she had just purchased him. She also said he didn't ever wear a helmet, and she wished he would have. The cop, trying to console her, told her he didn't suffer as he was most assuredly killed instantly when he hit the tree. I tell you, I think my heart nearly jumped out of my chest, and I have never felt so cold in my life when I started connecting the dots. We walked back home without giving any of the people there any information. I don't remember even speaking to any of them, but I was in a daze. I was freaked out for days. I was feeling very guilty about the girl and the ghost. Well, I didn't even want to think about him. And who the hell did the girl want us to go help? I heard my grandparents discussing it only once, later that night, and coming up with a story to help them sleep at night. They decided the guy wasn't killed in the crash. He died later, mostly from all the drugs that he and his girlfriend were all hopped up on, and that the girl was just fine. We never mentioned it again, but we didn't spend as much time there as we had before. Thank you, Endless Summer, for sharing your encounter. In our next encounter, Tyron Death sees a shadow. And more importantly, he sees a shadow that moves and has three dimensions. But let's let him tell his tale in his own words. Here is his story. I was sickly as a child. Not deathly, but I had moderate health issues. Several minor surgeries by the time I was eight. After one of these, I was recovering at home. I was around six at the time, so I had a rather early bedtime, typically around eight. Seeing as I was on the mend, my mom had let me stay up and sleep on the pullout sofa in the living room, while my younger brother slept in our shared room. Our house growing up was small, built in the 70s, a ranch style with a basement. The east side of our house was both our bedrooms that butted up with one another. Doors to both and a bathroom were all in a small hallway, if you could call it a hallway, that adjoined the living room. My mom had gone down into the basement to do laundry. My dad was asleep in his room. 
You could hear him snore from time to time. My brother was asleep also. He was four at the time and never got up in the night without you knowing it. He was terrified of the dark. A couple minutes after my mom went downstairs, I was watching the TV, sitting on the sofa facing the hallway to the rooms. I saw a tall figure step out of my bedroom and stop in the middle of the hallway. It was facing the bathroom. I froze. I stared at this thing. It was tall, a little over six feet. Darker than dark, the only way I can describe it is moonless night space with no stars. Liquid black with no shine. Almost like it absorbed light. It had a very well-defined outline. You could make out details in the silhouette. Whatever it was, was wearing a uniform. Like an old World War II uniform with a hat. Kind of like the police officer on the Monopoly board has. When it looked away from me, you could make out the face in outline. But when it looked at me, nothing. There were no eyes. No facial features like you would see from the side. But when it looked at you, it looked through you. You could tell it was looking at you with purpose. Our gaze met for a moment, even if I couldn't see its eyes. As it stepped out, it stopped, looked over me, and it froze for a second, slightly taken aback. I could only assume because it didn't expect to see me there, awake, staring at it in terror. After that moment, it looked down as it pulled a pocket watch out of its left breast, looked at it, then back up at me, then back at the watch, placed it back into its pocket, and walked nonchalantly into the bathroom and disappeared. I sat there for a solid minute, stunned, attempting to process what the hell it was I saw. I thought it may have been my dad fucking with me, but this thing was taller than my dad by about four inches, and was thinner. I got up, checked the bathroom, nothing. Empty. I checked my room. My brother was sound asleep in the bottom bunk. I heard my dad snoring through the closed door to his room. I ran downstairs and hid under the ironing board, terrified. My mom told me there was nothing and that I was scared by the television. That was the only time I ever saw anything at my parents' house. The basement was creepy as hell. You never wanted to be down there alone. It was half finished and had the worst energy and vibes. You always felt like you were being watched down there, sometimes to the point of triggering a sympathetic, nervous response. It was also not uncommon to hear footsteps walking through the house and up the stairs at night when you knew everyone was asleep or when you were home alone. Items would also disappear from time to time and show up, sometimes weeks later, 
in the most off-the-wall places. Our dogs would never get upset, but you would see them stare and track things that we couldn't see. As far as I know, nothing bad happened in that home. Shadow beings have seemingly become a larger part of sightings over the last decade or two, it seems. But as Tyron Death's tale relays back to his childhood, it serves to prove that these shadow entities have been around long before then. The ancient Sumerians believed that the afterlife was a realm of shadow, and that it contained shadowy entities that dwelt in the underworld. So it stands to reason that these shadow entities have been with mankind as long as there has been civilization, and likely longer than that. When we come back, Sasquatch 76 takes us into the woods for an unusual encounter. But first, a word from our sponsor. Like many people, I grew up playing in the woods, riding bikes with my friends, and just all around having an awesome childhood that was full of exploration and adventure. Sasquatch 76 writes about a similar upbringing with one key distance. For you see, he would encounter something in the woods that would terrify he and his cousins one autumn evening. Let's get to his story. I was probably 11 or 12 when this happened. My two cousins and I would always go out into the woods and tear ass on our bicycles. There's miles of trails between here and the Pennsylvania border. Sometimes we'd ride into the night before heading home. This was just such a night. It was a nice fall evening probably around 60 degrees. It was dark, but we decided to take a break after climbing this huge hill before heading back home. So we sat down around this huge oak tree. The sounds of the woods at night were all around us. Then, like someone hit a switch, silence. We could hear each other breathe, it was so quiet. We looked at each other in the light of a small handlebar light on my bike. One of my cousins said, Man, what the hell? This ain't right. I felt something. Something just didn't feel right inside me. I got that shaky, chills up my spine feeling and said, Let's go now. This is messed up. Just then, a huge gust of wind hit through the woods. I mean, it was strong. Blew dead leaves everywhere. There was no warning at all. Nothing to tell us the wind was coming. The sky was clear. No storms in the area. This wind was hot. Like, just opened an oven hot. And then the smell hit us. Like, burning matches. A really strong smell. Brimstone. 
We jumped on our bikes and were about to get the fuck out of there when the wind reversed direction and went back the way it came. It only lasted a few seconds, but felt longer. And that smell stayed. Then everything was still. Still, absolute silence in the deep woods. That's when we hear leaves and sticks breaking in the woods behind us. Heavy footfalls and a sort of breathing sound. Now, I was the only one with a light, and it was a piece of crap that barely lit up a few feet in front of me. We knew the trails, though, and hauled ass. My youngest cousin hit a tree root bending his front rim and throwing him off his bike. So we stopped, having rode pretty far from that giant oak. The sounds of crickets and normal night sounds had returned. He wasn't hurt, but that bike wasn't going anywhere. He picked it up to carry it and was freaking out that we were going to leave him behind. I said we'd push our bikes the last mile to my house. No sooner than I said that, silence again. The brimstone smell returns, and so do the footfalls coming from our left. I turned my handlebar light in that direction. We all caught a quick glimpse of something like eyes about six feet off the ground. My oldest cousin said, Did you guys see that? Shit, what is that? So we take off running, running with our bikes like, well, like a hell beast was chasing us. I could hear sticks snapping and leaves crunching off to our side. It was keeping pace with us and was getting closer. One of my cousins was yelling, shit, 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 over and over. Being a religious boy who attended church regularly, I started yelling things like, the power of Jesus protect us, you can't hurt us, go away, Jesus help us. Oh man, that did it I guess. We hear this snarling and kind of whining sound behind us. Whatever it was, it was good and pissed now. My oldest cousin said, say that stuff about Jesus again. So, I said something like, the light of Jesus surrounds us. He won't let you hurt us. Leave us alone now. This time, nothing. No sounds, no movement. Then the smell faded and sounds could be heard again. We still hightailed it back through the woods to my house. I told my grandma, and she said, That was old Scratch hunting you, probably with his hounds. My mother called it Watch-A-Knee-Talk, Shawnee for evil spirit. When my pappy met him in the dark woods like that once we lived up in the mountains, that's why you gotta be good with Jesus then you don't have to worry about old Scratch. I can remember she used to call the devil Scratch 
because it's the first time I ever heard it. I'm still freaked out to this day about that episode. My cousins and I still talk about it. And it's another reason I don't go into the woods very much at night. Much like our next storyteller, I have an immense love of history and studying various cultures. What's New does as well, and shares an experience that he had while examining an old African artifact. As I was finishing graduate school, I was asked by one of my professors if I would meet with a local merchant and provide him with an informative report on a piece of African art he had bought. So I went to meet the guy, and he showed me his art. A Bakongo nail fetish. A Nikandi. He asked some questions, including, could he add some more nails? Bakongo nail fetishes from the Congo River Basin in Central West Africa are considered power figures, serving prominently in tribal government. It is believed that a water spirit inhabits the figure, so that when a nail is driven in, it pricks the spirit to wakefulness, so that it will do whatever is tasked. Two people engaging in a contract might drive in a nail, so that if one of them reneged on the contract, the spirit would hunt them down. Some of these figures were believed to be able to sniff out a thief, or to hunt down and kill a murderer. Early Christian missionaries in the region, initially skeptical, wrote fearful of the figures, claiming to have witnessed them work. At any rate, back to my experience. So, I agreed to provide documentation and photographs for the figure's owner. I sat up in the room with the Nakonde while taking measurements and then writing them on a pad on the table with my back to the figure. This went on for a while, counting prominent features, measuring every possible dimension to make certain that insurance would have complete documentation. After a while, writing descriptions and a summary down, I had the overwhelming sense that someone had come into the room. I turned and looked around the room. No one. Again, back to writing. And again, the sense that I was not alone. I turn and look around. Nothing different. Then, after the third time of strongly feeling someone in the room, I turned again, but I looked right at the Nakandi. It was still alive and active. I had the biggest chill run down my spine. It was alive, if that's the right word. And it was staring at me. You know that weird feeling you get when you look a mandrel baboon in the eyes in a zoo? It's looking back at you. It's not in the least bit afraid. And will tear you to pieces without hesitation. 
It's that feeling. You often find these things in museums, but usually the small mirror located on the abdomen has been broken. The ganga, or witch doctor slash priest, places the magic inside the abdomen, sealed with the mirror. The spirit that animates the figure is supposed to look out through the mirror to see into this world from the spirit world. When the mirror is broken, the magic goes away. I finished up hurriedly, gathered my notes and camera equipment, and left. The owner asked again if he could drive a nail into it. I warned him not to, told him as much as I could about the figure and my experience with it. Up until that point, I had been convinced that these things were silly mumbo-jumbo. After my experience staring into the face of an entity that frightened the hell out of me, I reread the accounts of missionaries. They started out poo-pooing these things too. It's hard to describe the feeling of looking at the face of something that my faith and religion and science all say doesn't exist. But there it is staring at you. What's new? Thank you for sharing your experience with the world, and hopefully you haven't stumbled across any more entity-possessed artifacts. But if you have, we want to know about them. We thank all of the people who have shared their encounters with us, as well as you, our listeners. But for now, we must end this delve into divination and this council of conjuring. If you have a story to share with us, you can submit it at scrypod.com, scrypodcast at gmail.com, or 573-203-8668. Before we end, however, I would like to recommend Mission Spooky to tide you over until our next release. Mission Spooky serves up entertaining and enlightening episodes on various aspects of the paranormal, so be sure to check them out on your favorite podcast service. But for now, it's time to close the gate and end this seance of sound. And as always, say goodbye. This is Scry. This is Scry.